Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka are listening to On a Mother Level. I'm Denise Hanitka and this is episode 93. It's a special one because my Abram is turning five this week. My little Abrino, a whole hand, the big five. And in honor of his birthday, I wanted today to share his birth story and have the entire episode be one big birth story. And that's why I invited my guest, Miranda, on. And so she is going to share her birth story with her daughter, who was just born about three months ago. So that's coming up a little bit later in the episode. But I want to start by telling you a little bit about my Aberino. There's that old wives' tale about a full moon triggering babies to be born. And so I think Abram was a full moon baby. Here's the story of the day that he was born. So it had taken a little bit for me to get pregnant, longer than we had hoped. We didn't do any fertility treatments really um, that were very significant, but we were worried nonetheless. And so we were very excited when I found out that I was pregnant with our very first baby. So really an uncomplicated pregnancy for the most part. We had a weird scare um, after the first ultrasound that was pretty upsetting. And then um, at about 26 weeks, I had this crazy pain in my guts that, I mean, it was really horrifically painful. And they never really figured out what it was. Um, I did spend a night in the hospital while they were trying to figure it out because I was in so much pain. They thought it might have been the like my appendix. And I think they settled on the fact that it was something to do with my kidneys or my bladder or the way the baby was sitting that was causing my kidneys to get backed up. It was really, really painful. And I remember when I was in the hospital for that one night, doctors were like, usually people say that kidney stuff is way worse than childbirth, so you're going to be fine. First of all, the kidney stuff was extremely painful, but I still think that trying to push that ham out was way more painful um, than the kidney thing. Um, I don't know. It feels like comparing two very difficult, awful things. (laughs) Um, And maybe I'm just a little bit of a pain weakling. 
Anywho, so overall, not a complicated pregnancy. Everything went incredibly well. We decided not to find out his gender. And I was just thrilled with the idea of giving birth to this human and then hearing my husband say, it's a whatever. So that was in my head this whole time while we were trying to figure out who this person was and when we were going to meet him. And... I would say one of the hardest parts of my pregnancy was if you've had a September or an October baby, it's like you're really pregnant during the heat of summer. And my just my ankles were incomparable. They were just so swollen. My poor feet were so swollen all of the time. I started wearing sneakers at like 20 weeks at work with my dresses. It was just very, very, very uncomfortable. Um, So I remember one of the last days at work. I have a picture of me and James on set and we were doing like our weather chat and he was standing up on the set because he was letting me keep my feet up on his chair because my poor legs and ankles were so, so swollen. So I think he was due maybe September 19th, I think was the day that he was due. And so it was a Friday um, at work. And that morning, I felt like I was maybe having contractions, but I wasn't sure. And because I was so uncomfortable with my legs and ankles, that I was trying to wrap my head around the fact that first time babies don't come on time. And I remember thinking, okay, they won't let me go past 42 weeks. So I just need to wrap my head around this baby being born the first week in October. That was sort of how I tried to manage my expectations. So on that Friday, even though I had kind of been contracting that morning, I all my coworkers were like, we will not see you. And I I specifically said, I will see you on Monday. There is no baby. It's not happening. Like I will see you Monday. And the day before, the day before is when um, everyone was talking to me about the whole full, full moon thing. And so that that night before, that Thursday night, I had sat underneath the full moon and just prayed and wished to the universe that um, everything would go smoothly and that whenever this person would come this person would come. I'm like trying not to use gender words because I didn't know, but it was like, you know, I just, I just offered myself up to the universe and to God and said, you know, whenever he comes, whenever she comes, whatever, whoever this person is, I can't wait to meet you. Um, and I, and I really am glad that I did that because I feel like I, I have this specific memory of this last moment to myself of, of recognizing the journey that I'd been on and, um, almost saying goodbye to the fact that this, this time with this person that was just me and the baby was, was going to be passing soon. So I go home from work that night, and I'm pretty sure I'd I'd had Taco Bell or something, and I just started to feel really sick. And, you know, I stayed up, and I I just, something wasn't feeling right, but you don't really know what the heck is going on, but I never went to bed that night. I just, something wasn't feeling right, and I got in the tub, and I was pretty sure I was contracting, but I'm timing it out. Called the hospital a couple times, and they're like, okay, this is what, you know, you need to figure out, and this is when you can come in, and... So finally, it was maybe around two in the morning that I woke my husband up. I was like, hey, I think I think we should probably go. And as we're driving to the hospital in the middle of the night and I, you know, I knew I knew I was contracting. But the whole time I was thinking, gosh, if we get there and we have to turn around and go back home, 
my husband's going to be so mad at me, (laughs) which like he wouldn't have been mad. But for some reason, I had these worries about being like this hysterical person that the second you have a contraction, you're like, ah, you know, maybe I'd watch Father of the Bride Part 2 enough times where Kimberly uh, Williams Paisley has like the 18 false alarms. Anyway, it was not a false alarm because by the time we got to the hospital, they said I was dilated a five. They were like glad that you're here. We can't believe that you're not in more pain. This is crazy. Um, Got the epidural and tried to get some rest. And, you know, it's weird because there's so much waiting, which I don't think you realize when you're um, pregnant and you don't realize that labor's like, you're like sitting there. It's like, what? So like my husband's on that weird couch thing. And I remember you know, wishing that I'd brought him some snacks or something. But I really didn't expect that um, I would be going to the hospital a couple days early. Like I said, I was like, okay, maybe October. So you're just like waiting there and, you know, like people come and check you and you're like chattering around and just such a weird thing. And I remember them saying something like, okay, you know, based on the progress that you're having right now, you'll probably have this baby maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. And you're like, okay, like, all right, Great, cool. So when they had warned me that, you know, I'd probably be ready to start pushing soon, you know, as we closed in on that three o'clock hour, I specifically, you know, said, you know, I wanted to take this moment alone in the delivery room with my husband. And we just like said, like, okay, like, it's no longer the two of us. Like, let's let's welcome this baby into this room. And so we called, you know, the nurses back in and we were getting ready to push. Like, let's do this. Um, turns out I suck at pushing. Um, my husband still makes fun of me to this day because he's like, no, you got to like a tube of toothpaste. I don't know what that means. I don't know how you like roll and press and squish like this is some sort of ab class. I, I, I just was not successful at it. And meanwhile, like he wasn't really acting like he wanted to come out. And I distinctly remember you know, looking at my midwife and going, well, how is it going? Is he coming yet? You know, not he, but whatever. Um, Is is this baby coming yet? And she looked so bored and kind of irritated with me, like, no, you're not making any progress at all. But I didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand the concept of, like, just sitting in here, like, trying to push this tube of toothpaste concept that they keep telling me. My husband's, like, long, long done with the whole, like, knees up thing. He's like, this is clearly not working. It just it just was not going well. But you're pushing so hard and you're like following the instructions. You, you feel like what, what's happening? And the longer it went, which you don't keep track of time, but the longer it went, the more exhausted I was getting. And I was falling asleep in between contractions. And so I remember they were like, okay, Denise, like push again. And I, and I would feel myself kind of come back too. And hours had passed. It had been hours and hours and hours. I think it was a total of four hours by the time, you know, I was getting really worried and I was in a lot of pain. My epidural wasn't working the way that it was supposed to. I was moving around in all these different positions and I was in a lot of pain. Nothing was happening. And they determined that he was a tiny bit like sunny side up where, you know, his head was just cocked a little bit funny. And it was and so I was like trying to push his face out rather than the top of his head. It was just not going well. And I was just getting more and more exhausted. And so with some consultation with um, the doctor who has now arrived, I had been using a midwife and we decided that I was going to have a C-section. 
And by then, I I just couldn't take anymore. I was I was getting so exhausted, and um, the baby was doing fine, but it worried us how much more that the baby could take of being like slammed against my pelvic bone and not actually really moving anywhere. If that's the wrong anatomy, sorry. So we didn't want at any point the baby to go into distress. So we decided that um, I was going to have a C-section. So they are, and I wish my husband could be here to tell this part of the story because they take me into the operating room and they give him some sort of like, you know, the, the operating room clothes. So from my side of things, I'm in the operating room. I'm sleeping as they're like trying to, you know, get me all sorted out. And I remember at some point they dragged something across my belly and they said, do you feel pressure or do you feel sharp? And I said, I feel sharp. And then all of a sudden, everyone was panicked. And they were like, get her out, get her out, get her out. And next thing you know, like, I'm being put completely out. Like, not just, like, you know, from the waist down. But, like, now I am under general anesthesia out. So I I don't know what the heck happened. I just remember a flurry of activity and just, like, get her out, get her out, get her out. Meanwhile, on my husband's side of things, he's put on the operating clothes that he was told to put on. And then they come back in and they say, no, you can no longer come in. And he was so freaked out and so panicked that now he couldn't come in that he ripped all the operating clothes off because he didn't know what was happening and he was freaked out. <laughs> so some time passes. What he doesn't realize is that they are now like operating. They're getting um, the baby out. And and they come back in to him to tell him that it's safe to come in. And they're like, what happened to your operating clothes? And so they like taped his clothes back together instead of like getting him some new like operating pants. <laughs> so they're like, like, what has happened in here? Like, you need to go in and meet this baby. So, so he goes in there. He says, like, I am, like, to- you know, I'm totally out. He says, my insides are all over the place. And he, like, he meets our son for the very first time. And, um, and I'm still out. And he just is, like, meeting our baby. And I'm, like, all inside out over there. And this wonderful, beautiful, magical nurse um, named Mary Johnson, like, took control of the situation. And she started um, taking videos and photos on Turner's phone. And he's like, just trust me, she's going to want this. She's going to want this, just let me lead the way. And so she she got all the videos and the photos of the cutting, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was cutting of the cord, like the, whatever they do to like get the baby ready afterwards. And so we have all these, these videos and photos and and it's only thanks to a nurse who knew what to do when the wife is out and the husband is freaked out. So the whole thing is Turner knew I wanted this beautiful, you know, gender reveal between him and I. And People had been waiting all day because they knew we were at the hospital. People had been waiting all day for, like, news. But he hadn't even told me, like, that the baby was born and that um, he was a boy. And so he called my parents and his parents and, you know, some other people and said, like, Denise is fine. The baby's fine. I'm not going to tell you the gender, though. And so people were so irritated with him. Like, 
Really? It is now nine o'clock at night. We've been waiting for this baby to born, and you, like, now you're telling me that you're not going to tell us the gender? Like, it came off as very pretentious, like, we'll let you know when we, I don't know. But the, the truth is, he wanted me to know what the baby was first, which I think was very, very thoughtful of him. So I have a distinct memory of, of kind of coming to out of the anesthesia, and 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 he said to me something like, you know, do you hear a baby crying? And and he said, that's our baby. You know, he's he's a boy. And it just I I was not responsive. But I remember hearing those words. And I, I remember hearing a baby crying off in the distance distance. But I was just too I was just too out of it. Um, and so I think it was five in the morning by then. Um, when I actually have um, memory of being awake enough, and I took these these very swollen photos of on my phone of me actually coherently meeting Abram for the first time, and I look a, a wreck in these photos. But I'm glad that I have them because, you know, that's really when I consciously met him. You know, he was born at nine something at night and I didn't meet him until five in the morning the next day. And so for a while I had some, I had some sadness about that. You know, my first baby and I don't have memory of the moment he was born. That's not part of my story. And so it, it was very hard. It was, it was hard to wrap my head around like what had gone wrong or what had led up to that and um and I and I was sad I grieved the fact that I didn't get this this gender reveal um but the next day you know we we chattered and we agreed on the name Abram Abram Michael and I like to say about his name Turner had come up with it maybe the Thursday before he was born because we went into the hospital with a boy name and with a girl name actually I think we had two boy names and two girl names (laughs) I knew the name Abram from the Bible, of course, from the Old Testament. You know, Abram becomes Abraham. And I didn't realize that Turner's knowledge of Abram was from the Abrams um, one army tank. But he was nine pounds, four ounces. So naming our baby after an army tank um, feels perfectly fine to me. Abram Michael. And Michael is the name of my grandpa, my Dito. And so it just, it felt wonderful to um, have a little family piece in there. So Abram Michael was born five years ago. And he was such a delightful little baby. And I worked so hard to keep feeling like myself and proving to myself that I could do everything and and take care of this baby and breastfeed and and I put a lot of pressure on myself but he was an easy baby so it all worked out so when I tried to do that same thing with Everett it didn't work out quite the same way but with Abram we just we just delighted in him so much and he was just such a big massive baby he was just like this big massive humanity with this big head and this big face and he still has that big head and big face and gosh we just adore him so much he's just a big ham salad and I'm just so happy to see the little boy that he has become he from the jump has loved trucks and it's frustrating to people who want to buy him gifts because all he wants to do is roll a truck that's it and I don't even feel bad about the fact that we have 8,000 trucks because guess what the kid loves them he loves a truck and he loves stuffed animals. He loves stuffed animals so much. He has a bunna, a bunny that he loves and adores and carries everywhere and talks to and hugs and loves. And 
I just adore. I adore the um, the combination of this nurturing little boy who loves a baby bunny and um, wants to also roll over that bunny with uh, an excavator. So Abram is the reason that I know about dinosaurs. Abram is the reason that I know what an excavator is and what a skid steer is. So God bless this little boy. And these five years have been pure magic. And I hope you enjoyed hearing my birth story because I don't think I've ever told it in full, but it feels really good to tell it. It's it's just something that I like to do before um, a kid's birthday is to remember what I went through, you know, leading up to it because it, you know, it was a significant day for me too. So thank you for listening to that. I invited Miranda Mendoza onto the podcast today to share her birth story because she's had these really beautiful home births that I want her to talk about. And, you know, it might not be your thing, but I think what's cool about it is hearing how different a birthing experience could be, you know, if you... If you want something different than in the hospital, pushing for hours and, um, you know, ending up with a C-section, I just, I think, I think there's, there's so many options out there. And I invited Miranda to share her birth story with her daughter, Isha, who is just about three months old. Miranda also says, by day, I am one half of a top producing real estate team partnered with my mom, Connie. I am also a student midwife, doula, postpartum provider, certified yoga instructor, although not currently teaching. She's trained in spinning babies and will soon be certified to teach hypnobabies, a hypnobirthing childbirth education course. So I love that she is such a well-rounded person. She's crunchy on one hand, corporate on the other. And it was my pleasure to talk to her and to hear her birth story. So happy birthday to my Abram and please welcome Miranda. I have so much I want to talk to you about. And I guess where I want to begin is like my first impression of you. Okay. So I've been following your page for a little while after someone suggested that you'd make a wonderful guest and you had your baby and I'm watching your postpartum stories. And I'm like, this woman gives birth like a celebrity. I imagine that this is what a celebrity does after they give birth. They are taken care of and fed and nurtured. And what I like about um, your postpartum story is that you're like, this shouldn't be unusual, by the way. Yes. I'm glad that message came across. (laughs) (laughs) I just think you were, you had a full team around you. How did that all come, come to play? Do we need to start back at birth number one? Or how did you end up having this beautiful birth for number four? So I did not have this for my first two births. So I have, for myself, I have two bonus babies, but I have my two boys and then we just have baby Isha. Okay. My first birth, I was a single mom and I had a wonderful home birth. I had two midwives, it was great. After my birth, everyone just left. I was just left to take care of this baby. And I didn't know any better. You know, you don't know until, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm not feeling that great, you know, as, but it's just cause I'm a new mom. Yeah. Right? Um, cause that's what everybody's then, told you. It's going to be like, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to want to cry all the time. Like it's just, it's going to be hard. Just pull up your big girl pants and do it. Right. Yeah. Fast forward to birth number two. I'm married at this point. I have more of a support system. 
Um, I have another wonderful home birth and again, have my baby. And this is kind of the midwifery model of care. Like the reason you have, well, one of the reasons you have a baby at home is because you're at, in your comfort zone. And then once it's all said and done, everybody just packs up their stuff and they go, you know, once they make sure you and baby are okay and everybody's settled, well, then they just left again. And then, you know, I had a few appointments afterwards and, and that was about it. And then, you know, a few months down the road, because for me, like my, I didn't start feeling bad postpartum until maybe like seven, eight months postpartum. That's when it like accumulated and then I crashed and burned. So then after my second birth, I decided that I wanted to kind of get into birth work because I started listening to a woman, um, Kimberly Ann Johnson, um, and she is the author of The Fourth Trimester. And so I read her story, started listening to her podcast And I just cried because I was like, man, I really missed out on what my postpartum time could have been and having that thriving health. And now I understand why I felt so bad. And then I cried even more because I was like, so many people don't know about this. Like I consider myself a pretty crunchy mom, you know, and, and I don't know, I just felt like I like knew things. I had home births, you know, I did things kind of the natural way. Why did no one in that whole system of care never tell me that I needed to prioritize my health? postpartum and then the rest of my family would be okay because we're this you know powerhouse of our family well if we crash and burn what happens to the rest of our family dynamic um and so so take me back really quickly tell me what happened after after that second birth when you say that you kind of hit that crash and burn moment at seven months like what was that like for you because I feel like that's probably relatable I was totally burnt out so I went back to work I'm a real estate agent and our assistant of 10 years quit, um, basically gave her two week notice when I just had the baby. So after two weeks, I went back to work. My office was upstairs. I was taking this baby in a, you know, car seat up the stairs, diaper bag, trying to pump at work, you know, nurse this baby and learn everything that this woman had done for 10 years in two weeks. <laughs> so our business would not fail. I don't, um, I, I cannot wrap my head around two weeks. I don't even know how that's <laughs> possible. I really don't. I mean, and, but this is so many people's reality, right? Like they don't have a choice. So they have to go and do these things. And even if people have to go and do these things, and we can kind of get into this later, but there are things that you can do that are going to boost your level of health so that you can go and do the things that you need to do um, without damaging yourself a ton. So I was having health issues. I was having digestion issues. I just never felt great. I was having, you know, I was severely burnout in work overly emotional. And the biggest thing for me, which now looking back, I don't know if I realized it so much in the moment, but now I realized that I, it was very hard for me to be a mom. Like I would work all day and then I would come home and my kids needed me because eventually I stopped taking my baby to the office. My kids would need all this attention for me. And I just had nothing to give. 
you have no more fuel in the tank. Nothing. I just wasn't enjoying them. I just wanted to get through mothering them so that I could get to bed and rest. Yeah. And that's not a nice feeling, you know? (laughs) No, you want to feel like you're giving as much to your kids as you're giving your work. And the bottom line is you can't, you just can't when you're running like that. You cannot. Yeah. And so it took, me studying postpartum care and in a pandemic that recentered my work from my motherhood outwards, um, rather than like my work at the center. And it was a lot of life lessons the past few years that brought me to be able to plan for my postpartum health this time around. Yeah. I love how (laughs) different the, the birthing world and real estate are, you know, it just it makes you a very well-rounded person. It is. So it's really interesting because it's so different. And so I'm a student midwife as well. So I, ha- there are similarities where like my schedule is totally unpredictable. I just never know, you know, what's going to happen. My day to day changes. Um, and so that's really similar to real estate. And then obviously just running my own business. I know how to do that in birth work from real estate. Okay. So let's, I feel like for people <laughs> to really understand who you are and what we're talking about, let's really break down Isha's birth because there were, there was just so many <laughs> elements to it. And do you think the best place to start would maybe be like setting the scene, the physical place where you gave birth is significant too. And you really set that all up. Talk to me about that. Okay. So I live for, we just moved before moving to our new house, we lived on a 53-acre property um, on this little tiny house. And so I just thought that this time I wanted to give birth outside. With studying everything that I studied, I was like, I just want to have this baby outside. Like, it yeah. just sounds so fun and so natural. And just really want to do it. So how did you set it all up? I mean, you kind of had a, um, I don't know, what word did you use? Did you use the word alter? Describe it for people. I was playing from the moment I found out I was pregnant because I go to so many births. I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew that I wanted to birth outside. I knew, I knew who I wanted there. Um, and then I just wanted this kind of grounding, um, natural and like spiritual aspect to birth because what I also learned from that was different from the other two is, you know, you're a portal from one side of like a spiritual realm or whatever you want to call it. And you're baby being born into this world. Right. I just really wanted to honor that connection. And I had, um, some deities, I guess, some figures of some deities from different cultures, um, a Hindu goddess, um, and Mayan, uh, healer, um, just to kind of bring some good birthing vibes and incense and crystals and, you know, anything that I just felt gave me comfort, I had on there. And honestly, I mean, for people that haven't seen the photos, we're outside, 
lots of greenery, trees. My yard is totally private earth pool and a nice little tent over that to shade me from the sun and some Tibetan prayer flags, these ornamental chakras hanging from the trees. And um, yeah, it was beautiful. I cried at one point because it was just so pretty. (laughs) Yeah, it was very beautiful. And I mean, the photos obviously, you know, like reflect how beautiful it was. First of all, before we get into the birth story, tell me like, tell me a little bit about your husband, because if I told my husband I was giving birth outside and I was going to create (laughs) a birthing environment, he would look at me like a crazy person. So tell me about your husband. With our first son that we had together, he was used to hospital birth and he's from Mexico. And so in Mexico, I feel like it's maybe even a little bit more strict than here, than our hospital system. Okay. Um, So he was just used to that, like hands off, like you, you don't participate as the dad at all, you know, um, and just kind of this regimented thing. And so uh, I have always taken hypno babies, um, uh, birthing class with, um, with each pregnancy. And so he did that and he kind of got the feel of like the partner participating and things like that. And, and, you know, I said, I had our oldest son at home and I'm going to do that again. And he was like, okay, (laughs) I mean, I'm here for it. It's your journey and I'm along for the ride basically. Um, and then, so when I told him I wanted to birth outside. I don't even think he batted an eye because I'm in birth work. He's just like, this is your thing. Just tell me where you want me to be, (laughs) what you want me to do. I wrote him a list. Um, I'm an obsessive uh, list maker. And so everybody on the team had their list of things that I wanted them to do when they arrived and what their responsibilities were so that there were no questions. For me, when I went in the first time to give birth, it was like, okay, I think something's going on. Okay, now I'm timing. You know, you're sitting on the couch waiting. When should I go in? Blah, blah, blah. How does it work when you're not waiting to go into the hospital? Like what, what, what is the beginning stages like when you give birth at home? It's basically the same, but you're just, when do I call my midwife? Right. When do I alert her that I need someone to come? So with my first birth, it was pretty easy because first timers there, the average is 24 hours. So if you're under 24 hours with your first baby, we consider that doing great in home birth. With my second, I was, I didn't call soon enough and she almost didn't make it. Um, she was explaining to my husband and my best friend over the phone how to catch this baby. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was very, yeah, a fast kid and he's still he's that way in personality. <laughs> this one, you know, I with Isha, um, the night before I was kind of feeling some stuff and I was like, okay, like this is persistent, you know, but it was very light. I slept through the night. My kids are very wonderful in the fact that they are born in the middle of the day and birth workers love that, you know, that you don't have to get out of bed at three in the morning and go to someone's house. I called her, or I think I just texted her at six in the morning or so and said, Hey, you know, these are still happening. These waves are still happening. So just be on alert for today. But And again, because I do this work, I I kind of know, you know, when things are like picking up, 
you know, things started to pick up where I was kind of going into my zone and in my quiet mode. And I just, you know, said, I think you might want to head out and just see what's going on. And they always, that's the thing with home birth too, is they have the opportunity to leave. If they think that, you know, something's not happening, they can just go for lunch or go run a few errands and then come back just depending on the situation. Okay. So when you talk about getting into your zone and into your quiet mode, is that kind of drawing on that hypno babies training that you've been talking about? Yeah. So hypno babies is childbirth hypnosis. You listen to these tracks and it drops you into a deep sense of relaxation into a, um, into a self hypnotic state. So I get very nonverbal during my birthing time. Um, I've seen other people be very verbal all the way through transitioning and pushing, and they're still like having a conversation, which is so bizarre to me. Um, but they are, they do that and it's fine, but I kind of just go into shutdown mode and shut down. You work on something called hypno anesthesia. So you send this anesthesia throughout your body and relax every muscle in your body. And that helps with getting through those waves. That's so fascinating to me. It's really (laughs) so mental. So is that something you're like practicing through your pregnancy? I mean, you don't just read the book and then on the day you like do it. (laughs) No. Yeah. It's totally different than a lot of childbirth education classes because it has homework that you're doing every night. So you're listening to certain scripts every single night. There's scripts for your partner to listen to and that can help them get into a, you know, calm and supportive state rather than, you know, being anxious and adding tension to the birth environment. And I'm assuming there's like (laughs) mental techniques that kind of like, you know, I'm thinking about any time that I've tried to meditate and your brain is like Mm -hmm. thinking about this or that or that. And so I'm assuming there's techniques that kind of bring you back to center and, and you, you teach your mind to shut that stuff out. Yeah. So there's the hypnoanesthesia you can kind of envision it. They describe it in the course as like sending this orange kind of energy throughout your body. So any sort of mental thing that you can hang on to and like focus on rather than, you know, like in meditating, like you said, you're like, okay, what do I need to get from groceries today, you know, or, or whatever. So they give you things to focus on so that you're not doing that. There's the finger drop technique, which I really love. So throughout the six weeks, you work on building kind of this light switch on the back of your neck. So when it's on, you're in full operating mode. When it is in the middle, you are sending this hypno anesthesia throughout your body, but you can still move your body and have your eyes open and things like that. And then when you switch it all the way off, that's when I go into my kind of shutdown mode, you're nonverbal. You are not moving your body at all. And that hypnoanesthesia is the strongest. So that in the off position, like when I would have a wave and I could feel it starting, I would switch my switch mentally to off. And then that would kind of shut down my whole body until the wave is over. And then I flip it back on. So realistically, how much pain are you feeling when you're in those modes? I really don't feel much to be totally honest. And I know it's, it's a mental thing, but I've created kind of this shield for myself, you know? So yes, you can feel pressure, but I'm not feeling like 
jarring pain at all. Um, and the pressure does get intense, you know, as you go through transition, but I would say this time with Isha, I did not feel anything that I would equate to pain until, um, I was until she was crowning. And that was really intense for me because I switched positions and I wrote about this in one of my posts, I switched positions, um, mid wave. And that was a really bad idea. I shouldn't have done that. And then once I got in in a comfortable position again, then I was fine. So that was really the only time I felt like what I would call so much of it is, is you're controlling the situation and you've got your mental game going. So how is, how is, um, that, that midwife helping you there in those moments, you know, cause you've got so much going on in here. So what are they doing during this time? Really? I feel like, and when I'm on the other side of it, attending other people's births, really we're just sitting aside and letting the birthing person do their thing until baby is crowning and coming out. And that's really when midwives step in because they're making sure that, um, you know, the birthing person is okay, that baby is okay, vitals and all of those things. So really they just kind of stand off to the side. And if you need anything, um, they're there, but there's not much to do until baby comes. (laughs) Okay. So about how long did this all take? How long were you laboring there? I think it was about eight hours, okay. which is really interesting because with my second birth, it was four hours start to finish. And I felt like it was way too fast. I felt like I missed out on my home birth experience. You know, I wanted to have a longer birth. And so, and people always think I'm crazy for saying that, but I just enjoy it so much. Um, and it's just such a different experience than this, you know, what you see on movies, people screaming and then so much pain and, you know, whatever, that I really felt like I missed out. And so this whole pregnancy, I kept saying, I really want to birth for about like eight hours. And that's what ended up happening. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like eight, eight, nine, somewhere around there. Okay. So now you did not know the gender of this baby. No. Okay. And so you have three boys. And we have four boys. Okay. So did you have any hunches? Like, were you hoping to have a daughter? What were your thoughts? I'm always okay with whatever. Like I'm hoping for a healthy baby, you know? Um, But I really did just pray on this belly all the time. Like I am, I feel ready now to pass down the wisdom that is being a female in this society to another female, you know, and I feel ready to teach another female about her cycle and, um, our connectedness to nature and caretaking life and, and, you know, whatever that looks like to her, like, I'm not saying like, oh, you need to go and have children or, you know, whatever, but just to pass down kind of this wisdom of being a female, I felt ready for it now. Whereas with my boys, I don't think I was ready for it. Um, just in my own journey as a female on this planet. Yeah. Um, and now like I am. And so, yeah, I did. I mean, I had the high belly, the fast heart rate, um, you know, these kind of uh, old wives tale kind of things. And I had a dream about her that I was like, okay, I had a dream about each of my kids that I, and I knew the gender 
Really? Um, and they were right. I remember seeing her and her really big smile and her super black hair um, and just knowing that she was a girl. And that's how she is. She's this really smiley, dark, black-haired baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that I identified with you um, on your birth story was kind of having the gender reveal, because I didn't know the genders of my boys either. But the gender reveal was, I don't want to say ruined, but it wasn't kind of what you were hoping for. Tell me that part yeah. of it. Isha came out not doing so great. Um, she needed a few, we call them rescue breaths, um, okay. and just a little help to get, to get started, right. To breathing and getting her lungs used to the outside. So, um, you know, the midwives were working on her and we're rubbing her, getting some circulation going and things like that. And one of the things that they do to clear the lungs is they, they take the baby and kind of flip them upside down, like feet above the head. Um, and that clears some junk out of the, the airways. And so they did that and, and somebody saw, I don't know, it was a lot of commotion and started saying like, Oh, it's a girl. It's a girl. And then my husband asked, what, what is it? And they said, it's a girl. And so I was really bummed because he has always, not for me, but cause I feel like I kind of knew. And while I was birthing, I kept saying like, come on, mama. I don't know where that came from, but yeah. I just, I think because I knew. And so I was really bummed for him because he's always wanted a girl and he has four boys. And I just imagine this big emotional thing that didn't happen, but yeah, it, it yeah. ended up being okay. <laughs> it was yeah. still exciting. I just identified with you on that because when I had my first son, uh, I was in the hospital, he was stuck and I ended up having a C-section, but I was put completely under, under general anesthesia. Um, so I don't remember him being born. I, you know, I was not conscious for when he was born and I have, I have a very vague memory of, of my husband telling me that it was a boy, but I was still so groggy and so under this anesthesia. Uh. Um, and so, so it's like, I have my own memory and then I have, you know, perhaps like my own, like put together of his memory, you know, and, and it's all kind of like come together into one, but yeah, it was like, you know, you spend, you spend the whole nine months, like, no, we're not finding out. We're not finding out, you know, when I'm pushing, you know, everyone in the room knows like not to yell it out because my husband's going to tell me it. And then when he's born, I'm like, I'm not even anywhere on the planet, you know? Right. I was able to have the reveal that I wanted when I had my second C-section, but, but yeah, I, I, I mourn for you a little bit because I know what that's like to be like, I had this in my head and, and the baby's still here. It's like anticlimactic almost, you know? And it's like, yeah, like you said, you wait so long and everybody asking you, what are you having? What do you have? You know? And you're just, waiting and then it's like womp womp yeah <laughs> yeah so, you know and I try not to use this rhetoric of but you've got a healthy baby because people experience a lot of birth trauma and things can register differently to them you know um even as something with a name with a, a gender reveal or something so I try not to say but you know you have the baby at the end yeah it took a little a little while to 
not feel sore about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. You know, I'm thinking about my own births. Okay. So I'm like pushing in the hospital and like, things are not going well. I'm not progressing. So uh-huh. like, and then I ended up having a C-section. So if like something had happened to you out there, like Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's like various plans of like when to get you out of that situation or like, how does that all work? Yeah. So I'm about 30 minutes from a hospital where, where we were living before they are continually checking vitals right. with, you know, every, I think it's like every 30 minutes or, or whatever it is. So they're continually monitoring me. And, um, if those vitals start to dip at some point, then we start talking about, okay, well, baby's not doing so great right now. You know, maybe it's, we need to transfer in, but really we're just listening to fetal heart tones to see, you know, how baby's doing and then assess and, and go from there. We have had very few emergent transfers, um, usually in the midwifery practice that I'm in. Um, and, Usually it's postpartum for some sort of hemorrhaging that just can't get under control, but it's very, very rare. Yeah. Cause okay. So now, you know, baby's out, she's doing well. Then now it's like attending to you and making sure that you're doing okay. So is that really when their like work steps up? Like now what, what happens next? Yep. So they are checking me. Um, they would be, you know, after that first, because if you have the golden hour where you're skin to skin with your baby, um, and in that time, they're just monitoring bleeding because you are going to have some bleeding, you know, they're making sure placenta is out, that the placenta is whole, no pieces were left behind, still monitoring vitals, making sure I'm getting, you know, fluids because it's not like in the hospital where you have an IV hooked to you. So you have to like get some fluids and get some sugars into you, you know? So yeah, they, they definitely have to do a bit more then. And, you know, the assistants are cleaning up and draining the birth pool and all of that. So a lot of that happens. And I feel like the birthing person doesn't even know because they're just like in this whirlwind of like having their baby, you know, and being with their baby and their, you know, if there's other kids around and things like that. So I did have some amniotic sac that was retained. Okay. Um, so none of the placenta, um, but just some of the amniotic sac. And so my bleeding was not stopping. It wasn't severe, but it was just enough to make me not feel great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They just had to go in after the piece, which was not comfortable, but again, it was like physically they went in and retrieved it. Yeah. That seems intense. Yeah. Yeah. It was very intense, but again, I use my breathing, you know, deep, slow breathing. My provider is very, very gentle and wonderful. Um, And so it was not a bad experience. It was like, okay, I know that this is what has to be done. So just get it done. They would do the same thing in the hospital if I transferred to the hospital. So I would rather stay home with my baby. So you decided to save your placenta. Like what's happening then with the placenta? I've heard of like the encapsulation, but it looks like you did something different. Yeah. So you can get it encapsulated and it has the pretty much the same effects. I do mine raw. (laughs) So I have the midwife or the assistant or whoever, um, cut it up into pieces and then put it on a cookie sheet 
like on wax paper and um, like freeze them. And then I do like a piece or two um, in a smoothie every day um, until they're gone. Wow. So this helps with bleeding and putting nutrients back in and it lowers chances of postpartum depression and helps with breast milk production. So pretty much, you know, every mammal on the planet, I found out except there's like, I think um, camels don't do this, but most mammals on the planet uh, eat their placenta. Interesting. So kind of a thing. I mean, this is a total, total out of left field question, but like, do you know why we stopped doing that? Or like, did we at one point, is there like old text that says we used to, and then we stopped? For sure. We did because that is what like in tribal communities, they would have seen other animals doing. And that is just what that was just part of our physiological response to birth. A lot of our physiological um, responses to birth have been lost because in this, and I'm not you know, downing the hospital system in any way, the hospital is there as a tool and we use it as a tool in home birth as well. And sometimes it is needed and sometimes it's not. Um, but some of the practices in our hospital system have taken us away from our physiologic responses to birth. We just don't do the things that our ancestors did previously, um, because, because of liability issues, birth has become something that is viewed as dangerous and risky and it doesn't have to be that way. Well, here's the reason that I'm getting so in depth with you on this. I think, especially when you're a first time mom, you don't know even what you don't know. You want a a birth experience that feels good to you, but you don't even know what that would mean or look like or what your options are. You know, you can, you can read five different ways to do, you know, baby's first feeding, you know, you could do baby lid weaning. You can do that. You can read all of these different ways to do all these different parenting things. And yet I think like with pregnancy and birth, we don't, we don't know about all the options. I just think it's cool to, to get information out there about like what you don't even know. You don't know. Yeah. And this is, and I know I keep going back to hypno babies, but I, really did like that as a first time single mom when I had my son, because they give you so many options and they set, you know, they give you all the options Then they go about setting up this entire environment and how you can set up a peaceful environment. And so it takes a lot of um, guesswork out of it. Um, and it really sets you up for success mentally because, and that's, I think you had said that earlier, it's like really a mental thing. And it is because birth is physiological, right? Our body is going to start having those waves, whether we're ready or not. Like my water broke in the middle of the farmer's market the first time movie style, Yeah, you know, like (laughs) my body didn't care that I was at a Christmas market shopping, (laughs) you know, it did its thing. The only thing that we have to do is get our mind out of the way and let our body try to do what it needs to do. And sometimes that always isn't possible. And I always like to say that to people because they, you know, a lot of people, doulas, providers, whatever will say, well, your body knows what to do. And it does, 
but then that can leave people feeling like they failed if their body didn't quite know what it wanted Uh, or needed to do. You know, if we can get our mind kind of out of the way, we have a better chance of success. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess on a scale of one to 10, one being, you know, not the birth you wanted, 10 being the perfect birth, where would you, where would you rank this one? Man, Isha's birth was like a 12. Yeah. I mean, it was just great. I mean, it had its little things, but goodness, I could not have asked for a better birth. It was just wonderful. And it, this is my last baby. So I'm like, go out the bank. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what you said at the beginning, everybody didn't just leave right away. You had that support. How long did you, did you have their support team with you after, um, yes. after giving birth? So this was, um, something that I set up in the prenatal time. This was the night and day difference between my postpartum times, because this time, yes, I planned for baby, but like by the third time, you know, what's happening. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I knew the stuff I didn't need all of that this time I was planning for myself and my care. And so my mother-in-law, which it was a very privileged thing. I realized not everybody can have this or even gets along with their mother-in-law enough to have them come stay, but she came and stayed with us for two months. And so she was there consistently the entire time she's from Mexico. She is still very in touch with a lot of kind of like traditional healing methods and things like that. And so she was making sure I was getting my herbal baths and she was cooking me certain foods, but I had a list on the refrigerator of foods that I could eat and foods that I could not eat. So if somebody came over and was like, Hey, I want to make you a meal. I don't even have to tell them. They just go to the fridge and see. So I had uh, my best friend coming and bringing me food once a week checking in on me often the first six to seven weeks was very heavily like I was not doing housework I wasn't like everybody knew this is my time to rest and to be with my baby and kind of like being waited on hand and foot and it was so wonderful (laughs) okay so before I had my second I swore that's what it would be like I swore I was going to have this you know, I was, because I knew what I was doing now. And so I was going to relax when I had this second baby. Well, problem is I didn't do anything to make that happen. You know, I didn't actually Mm -hmm. set up any care. I didn't actually reach out to any services. I didn't do anything. And then it was not a restful and relaxing time. And I did not thrive in that. And that's what you talk about is like, thriving health postpartum thriving health in the postpartum time is not only like okay I feel great after I have this baby but it is it can literally reset your health to better than it was before you even had your first baby so you could have done like me done nothing the first two and now the third I'm resetting my health to better than what I was before I had my first kid (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you really do have to, to think about yourself and your planning ahead. I mean, we have no problem making 45 trips to target to make sure we have the right lotion or, you know, oh, how yeah. many, how many things did we do to get ready? And then we just don't think about getting ready yeah. for ourselves. 
Not at all. It's not even a conversation or it hasn't been. And now it's slowly becoming more of a conversation. But for sure, when I had my first, I never heard anything about postpartum care at all. I just heard postpartum and thought postpartum depression, because that's what most people think when they hear the word postpartum. And it's really sad um, because this is one of our most sacred times as parents is when this new life comes into our family, into our existence and totally changes us. You know, we're reborn every time we have a child. And if that just leaves us feeling depleted and drained, it's just sad. No, it is sad. It is sad. Um, I, I think about all the time, you know, if I could get a do-over, have that, that better experience because I know better and can plan better. And, um, and I think, I think it would be cool. And it's, and it's cool what people like you are doing to, to get that conversation started where, where you're not deciding that necessarily for yourself, you're having your, you know, what's out there for you better. Yeah. And the good thing is though, too, part of what I do is postpartum consultation too. So if people are like, okay, I can't afford a postpartum doula. Well, Hey, let's talk for an hour and set you up you know, um, with the support system that you do have. So that's really great. You may, I don't know if you're going to have more kids or not, but maybe let's just say for the sake of this conversation that you're not, and you're like, okay, well, I didn't have that experience. That doesn't mean that you can't go back now and treat yourself the same way that you would have in the postpartum time. So you can set up even if you can't take off six weeks of work, right? Cause like who can do that in America, but you can do six weekends in a row that postpartum time you say is about 42 days or whatever the six weeks, 40 to 42 days. So that's why I say use six weeks always, but um, you know, six weekends in a row, you're going to eat, um, you know, warm, liquidy, high fat content foods to nourish your body, um, lots of, you know, protein. Um, and then you are going to oil your body, do vaginal steaming. You're going to rest with your babies in bed and like hang out and just play with them and shut your phone off and like have your partner take care of you or, you know, whatever that would look like for you guys. And so then at the end of the six weeks, um, you can do some sort of like closing ceremony or, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, um, to kind of like end that time and just say, okay, and now I'm done with this and I'm taking care of my body and, and move forward. And you would be really surprised how refreshed people do that or feel after doing that. And that can be like, I mean, I've had heard of women doing this like 18 years postpartum Wow! You know, and they just get some closure. I feel like that'd be so beneficial to people who feel like they had a traumatic birth or, you know, choices were made for them that they w- wish they wouldn't have made or things like that. Yes, absolutely. Or, you know, in my case, I kind of had this sense of like abandonment, you know, afterwards that everybody just up and left, even though that's the model of care that I paid for, that I looked for, you know. Um, And so I do feel like I have no more sadness about any of my postpartum times or what those were or how I felt physically or emotionally 
I feel kind of recharged and I'm so glad to be done having babies and like through that period of my life and just ended it in a really positive way. Well, and how cool now that you get to be in, be that person for other women, you know, when you attend their birth. So you don't really have to close the chapter on births because you get to attend them. How often are you attending births right now? I mean, you might be on a slower time because of just having a baby, but, but what's yeah. like normal. So now I'll be back. I have, um, some prenatal appointments, like clinical day tomorrow, actually. And then I'll be back full swing in October. Um, and it's really great in the home birth world. Cause I can just bring my baby with me for now until she's a little bigger and rambunctious two to three births a month. And then wow, I okay. take doula clients. I will take one a month. I don't I do love being a doula, but being a mom of three and being a doula is hard because sometimes you are at a birth for 20 plus hours. And like, what do I do with my kids in that time? Yeah. You know, when you homeschool and, and everything. So it's just a lot. Um, but postpartum care, depending on how many days um, that people want, um, I take one to two clients a month. So do you ever imagine like walking away from real estate and focusing totally on your birth work or like, what do you imagine for yourself? It's hard to give up real estate. I love it. Um, I love the flexible schedule. Um, I do plan on eventually when I am a totally certified and hopefully licensed or working towards licensure in, in Illinois. So hopefully when I'm a licensed midwife, um, I will not be doing that. Um, but right now I'm kind of in that in-between stages of doing both and it's worked out so far. Um, but it, it will be sad to leave real estate. My mom is my partner um, yeah. and we work so well together and just have such a good time. So yeah. That'll be a whole nother phase of life. <laughs> yeah. When you look at yourself like 15 years ago, say, could you ever have imagined going down this career path? I think it's so cool. No. So I traveled a lot, like as a young, you know, late teens, 20s. Um, I traveled all over the world and lived all over the world. And I lived in Nepal for about two and a half, three years. Wow. And actually in that time, I met a midwife and I just fell in love with her and the work that she was doing um, in villages all throughout Nepal. And I was like, I want to go to school to be a midwife. And they had a midwifery program there and it was all in Nepali. So I started learning Nepali and to do this midwifery program. And then um, life took me in a totally different direction. So I did not do that. And then I kind of forgot about it for a long time. And then I guess things just come full circle, but real estate, I would have said, no way. I'm never doing okay. that I'm with my mom. Like, are you kidding me? Um, or even living in the quad cities, which now I, I like. <laughs> yeah. So what's been the favorite place that you've lived in the world or that you've traveled to? I guess those are two different questions. One of my most favorite cities in the world is um, Budapest. 
It's so beautiful. Um, I also love Mexico City, which is where my husband is from. It's okay. just it, I, it, I love Mexico city because I didn't think I would like Mexico city. And then it's, you get there and it's so beautiful. Um, so I really like that. Uh, but the best place I've lived, I think the place I felt most at home was in Kathmandu, Nepal. That's where all my friends are. I worked there a long time, but Mexico just has a really special place in my heart for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So has this pandemic time been, um, making you a little stir crazy that you haven't been able to travel? Obviously you were pregnant for part of it, but. Yes. Um, we got back, we took our boys before I was pregnant with Isha to Asia for three months and oh my gosh. we got, yeah, it was so fun, but we got back in November of 2019. And so like immediately then everything happened mm-hmm. with the pandemic And so we were kind of grounded anyways, because of my husband's visa process. Um, And so we were like, oh, okay, it's fine. But now that things are lifting, we're getting very crazy. (laughs) Oh, wow. I feel like we probably have like another hour's worth of of stuff to talk about. I mean, (laughs) like now you're, I'm like, wait, hold on. We have like world travel stories and living in Asia with your kids kids. for three months. Yes. So maybe when everything opens back up again, like for real this time, we can talk travel because I feel like you have a whole bunch more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love, everybody has always told me like, you need to start a blog with travel tips, you know, with kids. Yes. We had it down to a science for sure. Um, but you know, in my spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for now, how can people find you if they want to reach out to you about your birth work? So, um, Facebook and Instagram is the best way. My email and phone number is on everything. So that is it for now. And then I am going to be launching my webpage, which will be the yogi mantra.com. And then quadcitykidnobabies.com will also be launching hopefully by the end of this month. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I really appreciated this conversation and, and talking about something that, um, that we really need to put more focus on and that's thriving health postpartum. I think it's so important. Thank you for inviting me on to talk. And I know it took us a little while to connect, but I'm so glad that we did. And I just want people to know that it is possible to feel great postpartum, to feel renewed and refreshed and supported um, and in community with other parents and people that care about you. My thanks to Miranda, and I definitely want to have her back on. Are you intrigued as I am about her travel life? I just want to know more, and um, then maybe we convince her to write like an Eat, Pray, Love style book. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Please share it with a friend. Please follow us at On A Mother Level on Instagram, where we are posting new content all the time. I will post some birth photos of Abram. Um on that account as well. Please follow along. It helps out tremendously to get the word out about the podcast. Thank you for listening and for supporting on a mother level. When it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.